that's, that's a bit much. Um, so we're trying to do, switch up uh, the uh, equipping class upstairs, uh, just to try that out. Um, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, thank you for sitting all on one side, so I'm not doing this and this. Um, I appreciate that. Um, and we're also going to try to start recording it uh, through the system, just so we have it for um, people that want it. Um, but let's go ahead and uh, open in a word of prayer, and then we'll get going. Holy God, we come before you. We are thankful again for life, uh, for an opportunity to gather today, uh, and for just the opportunity to discuss the really the the burning center of the gospel in uh, the crucifixion, in the death of Christ, in the substitutionary atonement of Christ. And so we just, uh, even as we began to talk a little bit about that last week, I uh, just pray that you would help us as we come to it uh, again, uh, help our minds to grasp uh, all the different facets and the components of what was going on. Uh, and Lord, help us to rejoice Help us to stand in awe, help us to be broken, um, and help us also to rejoice. Help us to keep trusting uh, in what you've done, Lord Jesus. Um, help us. Uh, we need the gospel each and every day. Um, refresh our hearts in it. Uh, help us to rejoice. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so just by way of review, uh, we've been walking through all the different components of the gospel, uh, and we've been saying over and over and over again, if you were to take one thing away from this equipping time that we get together, it would be this. Uh, what we're going through in each and every component, it's not just for unbelievers, it's for us, right? It's the soil uh, that we need to keep growing deeper and deeper into. It's as we meditate on the gospel, our hearts are warmed, we see Christ's love, and that fuels uh, what we do in all of our Christian life. When we sin, and we do sin, uh, what do we need to do? We need to come back to the gospel. We need to come back to what uh, Christ has done in the gospel um, and uh, to, to meditate on that uh, and to be changed by that. So um, I hope this has been helpful as we've gone through it so far. But really we are at that, that, the, that kind of core. Um, what is the core of the good news, right? Even 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, right? That Christ died for sinners, and that's where we're at. We're thinking about... The atonement is what we're thinking about. So we talked about that last week, and remember we talked about some of the basic ideas of the atonement. The basic meaning of the word is to wipe away or to purge. Uh, when atonement was made in the Old Testament, you see, this is great, the Old Testament gives you pictures, they give you, it gives you concrete pictures to help you understand when we get to Christ's atonement what happened, right? So basic meaning of atonement is to purge, to wipe away. Uh, when atonement was made, a ransom payment for the person was offered, whether that was money or an animal, to affect the atonement. And then three, the wrath of God against sin generates the need for atonement so that when the ransom is paid, uh, atonement is affected, a.k.a. the sin is wiped out, uh, and then God at the same time is propitiated. So uh, God is, God's wrath is, is satisfied. God's just wrath is satisfied. We talked about the mechanics of atonement. We talked about this idea that uh, when atonement was made in the Old Testament, there's an identification with the, uh, the animal, right? So usually that's through laying on of hands. Uh, in the case of the Passover, you've got one lamb per household, so there's a, uh, and not one lamb for all the households. So there's a key idea where there's identification, uh, a concrete identification with those being atoned for and the, 
the ransom payment. So both, both are happening. That's really critical, um, actually, for us going into the, the New Testament. Then we talked about some specific examples uh, of atonement in the Old Testament that inform Christ's atonement. We know that to be true because, say, for the Passover, 1 Corinthians 5-7, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, here is the Lamb of God. Uh, this is what John the Baptist says. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the idea, we, you remember the Passover, we talked about it briefly, right? God's wrath, the angel of death, is against not only the Egyptians, but it would have been against the Israelites, right? Because they were just as idolatrous. Ezekiel 20 talks about how uh, they, they served idols in Egypt just as much as the Egyptians did. They're equally as guilty so it's only that household that believes and puts the um, blood of that lamb over their lintel, right, that the, the, the angel of death, uh, the angel of the Lord actually, um, passes over, uh, in, uh, doesn't exact wrath, and, and that's the idea of, that's a picture of atonement, right, that God, through the death of this perfect lamb, is satisfied um, and uh, the angel of death passes over. So that's the Passover, right? And that informs Christ's death, right? We can think about that. Uh, we talked a little bit about it last week, but we can think about God's wrath is justly deserved by every single individual, right? Uh, but when uh, Christ is that perfect lamb, that perfect spotless lamb, that's what he's described as in the New Testament, and when one entrusts himself to that uh, lamb, right, identifies, you can think of identifying, that Old Testament picture of identifying with Christ through faith, uh, that, that Christ's death is accounted, it's spread over the doorway of our life, so to speak, uh, and God, the, the wrath of God is going to pass by in the day of judgment, right? So understanding that Old Testament picture of Passover helps us understand what is Christ's atonement affecting uh, in the New Testament. Another example, we talked about this last week as well, of uh, one of those Old Testament pictures that informs Christ's uh, death is the Day of Atonement. So the Day of Atonement happens once a year. Uh, you've got this tabernacle, so the camp of Israel, you've got the tabernacle, or later the temple, sitting in the middle of all Israel. And the idea is um, of Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus 16 is talking about this idea, how can a sinful people dwell with a holy God? And the Day of Atonement is sort of the the catch-all time uh, where every sin, whether it's the priest, whether it's the people as a whole, uh, is, is being dealt with. And so there's a bowl for the, the priest, but there's two goats for the people. One goat uh, is slaughtered. It's brought into the holy place. That blood is spattered on the, uh, where God's presence dwells. Uh, but then you need two goats to picture all that's happening, right? So one goat is being sacrificed. The price is being paid. That's being God is being pleased, he's being propitiated uh, in the Holy of Holies in his presence on earth. But then you've got this other goat called the scapegoat where uh, the priest would lay two hands over the goat, one hand for his own sins and the other hand for the people. Uh, and again, there's that identification, there's a sort of transfer of the people's sins on the head of that other goat, and then they send the goat out into the wilderness to symbolize the sins are gone, right? There's nothing being counted against, right? And uh, Hebrews mentions that essentially that's what Christ did on the cross, right? He entered the most holy place, the true holy place, in the heavenly places with, by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption, right? So you've got two concrete pictures, at least two concrete pictures in the Old Testament that help us understand what is actually happening on the cross, right? 
uh, he is, Christ is that, that ultimate sacrifice that all the sacrifices were pointing to. Uh, he is, by means of his own perfect life, uh, as the God-man, uh, as a perfect lived-in-flesh righteous, human righteousness, he's offering his life up to God. He has infinite value in himself as the, the God, the Son, in flesh, uh, and that is the means by which he uh, effects atonement. So, the wrath of God can pass by using the Passover language, um, or another way to think about it, we can now enter, um, Hebrew says we can now enter the holy places eventually uh, in the final state of things. We can enter the holy places because of what Christ has done, right? So those are things we talked about uh, last week just to remind us. We've got a few more things we want to look at today. Questions uh, up to this point. Yeah, so Romans 3, Romans 3 is the key text in that regard, because Romans 3 says that basically Christ's death, that death is accounted to those who had faith in the Old Testament, so going backwards, and then his death is that which, um, you know, grants forgiveness going forward. So it grants forgiveness for all. It is the sacrifice to which everything pointed. Now, those people, those Old Testament saints, were forgiven not because of the sacrifice itself, because Hebrews says that the blood of bulls and goats can't, can't deal with sin, but I think this is what was, if we look at the trajectory of sacrifice and what the Lord is doing from Genesis 3 on, I think what he's communicating is, if someone's reflecting on this, they realize, okay, this is an animal, I'm a human, There's, this isn't doing anything inherently, but God has instructed me to do this in faith. In faith that what is going on here is a picture of what I need, right? I need a perfect sacrifice in my place. I need, and I'm trusting for God to provide it. Remember Adam and Eve, they tried to cover themselves in shame, right? But it's God who sacrifices those two and clothes them, right? That provides this picture of, I know this isn't doing anything, yet God is giving me a picture and I'm trusting him. I'm not trusting the animal, I'm trusting him that he's gonna provide the ultimate sacrifice to deal with his sins. And so it's faith looking forward, not having all the details of the mechanics, right? Um, and, but Christ's death is what actually accomplished that forgiveness for those people in the Old Testament. So one uh, analogy, you've probably heard this before. Uh, forgiveness in the Old Testament, it's, it, it's, a, a, it's a credit card, right? Forgiveness now is a debit card, right? Uh, one is looking forward to... God is, knows what he's going to do with his son in the future. The people don't know all of the, all of the little details that are going to happen with that. They're just trusting God that they're going to provide that sacrifice. So it's a payment looking forward. Uh, whereas in the New Testament now, we know that the money's in the bank, right? Um, and it's, it's we look to Christ. Uh, God is pleased when he sees us, if we're in Christ, if we've identified with that sacrifice, to, to look on us, to see that sin paid for, and to see Christ's righteousness credited to us. So does that help? Because that's, that's a hard thing, right? Thinking about, well, how did this work in the Old Testament? I think it works fundamentally the same way it does in the New. It's just the details. They don't know all the details and the little nitty-gritty of, like, what did that look like? But you still have to have faith. Faith is not about the facts. It's about the person. Um, so, yeah. The questions is good.
Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and that's big in Paul too, right? He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He doesn't have everything. That's where we get progressive revelation, right? We get more and more detail, but the fundamental facts, what is, how do you, how are you saved? By entrusting yourself to, uh, to God, he's going to provide the sacrifice that you need, right? Uh, that's the basics, and the Old Testament saint could do that. We do the same thing, it's just that we have more detail about who's the sacrifice, how is that accomplished, um, and so we, we are in a better position um, to have faith, so, yeah. All right, uh, let's go, another key t Old Testament text that the New Testament authors, and including Jesus himself, rely on uh, to inform what is happening on the cross, what is happening in Christ's death, and uh, that text is uh, Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. But before we do that, again, just to prove to you that this is a text we should look at, uh, let's go ahead. Someone grab 1 Peter. 1 Peter um, 2, 22. And there's lots of texts we could go to, but this is probably one of the clearest and most explicit. <clears throat> So someone read 1 Peter 2, 22 through 25. So keep that text and some of its language in mind, and now turn over to Isaiah, and we know this text quite a bit, but it's one of the most important texts in the whole Bible. Um, someone go ahead and read Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, verse 3. We'll take it in chunks, so I'll assign that chunk to someone, and then we'll assign the next chunk to someone else, but... Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 3. Okay, a couple things to note just as we go forward, and we're going to get the whole picture as we go forward, but 
The word in verse 10, sprinkle, that is, a, um, that is an Old Testament Levitical term. It's you would sprinkle blood uh, on uh, the, the veil before the Holy of Holies uh, or on the altar. And so that's, that's the language of atonement right there. That, that word sprinkle is the language of atonement. Uh, notice it's not just for Israel, but it's for many nations, which is, kind of fits in with what Isaiah is doing when he's talking about his, his, the servant from uh, the chunk really is from Isaiah 40 through 55. It's a big theme, right? The idea of the servant uh, they, is, is, uh, should be identified with the, mess, the, the ultimate king who's going to rescue his people, Israel, but not only the people, he's going to rescue um, Gentiles as well. Uh, and then the other thing we see here is this, this person, despite every uh, expectation, especially since he's the king uh, or should be identified with the king, um, he doesn't have any form or majesty. He's obscure, right? Um, he's obscure. Even the, the root uh, language, that's going back to stuff earlier in Isaiah. We've even seen it in our study in Matthew, the idea of a branch, that botanical imagery, that's, that's picturing uh, the Messiah. Okay, uh, but now let's continue on. Uh, 53, 4 through, oh, let's say 9. Someone take that. Yeah, nine. Thank you. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Right. And there's the section where you can start to see some of the language that is picked up in First Peter, right? That um, the idea of all we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way. Um, and then Peter says, but now in Christ you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, right? So this text is being explicitly... Uh, or allu- uh, alluded to, right? Uh, but you see the language. This is this is one of the. Mof- this explains what happens in the gospel, because in the gospels you don't really. I mean, you get Christ's death, but you don't get actually a lot of language and explanation of what's going on. But here you do. It's already been pre prepackaged, so to speak, uh, where it's saying Christ, or it's saying that God laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He's pierced for our transgressions, right? Substitution. Uh, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. Um, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Right Again, you get that language of substitution. Right That here is the substitute sacrifice. Even the language of lamb uh, goes back to even the Passover language. Uh, so we've got a substitutionary atonement happening here for not only uh, 
Israel, and in the greater context of Isaiah, uh, why did Israel go into exile? It went into exile because of its sin. It's the exact same thing we've been seeing in Matthew, right? But now uh, you can't just bring Israel back from exile without fixing that problem because they're just going to go right back. So this is why this is the, really the core in a lot of ways of uh, what's going on in Isaiah. We explain why. How is it that God can bring these people back? Uh, it's through this. It's through a substitutionary atonement dealing with the individual's um, sin. Uh, questions up to this point? We'll keep going in Isaiah 53, but any questions up to this point? Okay. Uh, the other thing I should have said, uh, innocent suffering, right? Uh, the person is innocent. Uh, just like one of those Old Testament sacrifices, pure, without blemish, spotless, uh, to be able to accomplish this uh, atonement. I'll read uh, 53:10 through 12. Yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt... And that was an Old Testament offering, a guilt offering. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities." Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So, a couple other key things here. One, not only is the, the servant die, but the servant gets uh, uh, his days prolonged. This is one of the key Old Testament texts for the resurrection. Um, so uh, this is speaking uh, ultimately or alluding to the resurrection. But not only do we have a sacrifice for sin uh, that's wiping out sin, but you see this in verse 11, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, so the servant's perfectly righteous, uh, make many, so many from Jews and Gentiles, to be accounted righteous. So here's the thing about substitutionary atonement. We see it in the New Testament. It's not enough to just get rid of sin uh, or to forgive sin. That's not enough. Because if you use the kind of debit uh, credit analogy, right, uh, we have an infinite debt with a holy God. We've talked about that before. Forgiveness brings the debt up to zero. But to actually be in God's presence, you need perfect righteousness, Right? Uh, and here we have it. The servant is a perfect lived-in-flesh righteousness that is able to be accounted to um, those who put their trust in him, with those who identify with that sacrifice. Right? Uh, and that's the other thing, the atonement. It's not just sins dealt with. It's also that righteousness is imputed. You need both of those things um, happening. So... Um, and then he talks about uh, dividing the spoil with the many and the strong, right? The benefits of his death. It's, he, he's raised from the dead, but then he shares those benefits, essentially, with those who are identified with him, okay? One of the best, most clear texts um, for understanding what happens on the cross. And Christ himself alludes to it. Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve uh, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, and we saw the, the language in First Peter 
Luke 22, 37, I think it's Jesus quoting there in the Last Supper, he says, he was numbered with the transgressors, which is quoting from this text. So Jesus himself understands he's the servant doing this. Um, so this, this, and there are many other texts we could go to because of that. What questions or comments do you, do you have about that? Yeah, Susan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. 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 And when we here's the thing, um, when we think about um We'll talk about a couple New Testament texts that really explain Christ's death, right? But um, when we speak of the gospel, sometimes what we can do is say, believe in Christ and you get these benefits. But remember what the good of the good news ultimately is, is to bring us to God himself, right? And that's even back to the sacrificial idea, right? That, that um, even the Day of Atonement in particular, right? Atonement brings you near uh, a holy God, right? It brings you to um, that good of the good news. And it's not just, it kind of even goes back to what we were saying earlier. Belief is not just belief in facts, but it's that identification with the sacrifice, right? It's that entrusting of oneself, in this case, to the sacrifice, who is God, right? Who is the God-man. Um, and it's, it's your um, desiring to be with him, right? You're desiring him, you're, 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 you're trying to identify with that sacrifice. That's really what faith is doing, right? You're identifying with the sacrifice that God himself has provided. You're entrusting oneself to the work that Christ has done, yes, but you're also entrusting yourself to that person. Um, to do what? To get rid of, uh, to, to expiate, to, to purge, uh, using that language of atonement, to purge the sin so that God is propitiated, so that... Um, we have our accounts filled with the righteousness of Christ. So, yeah. Other questions, comments on Isaiah, um, the Isaiah text at all, or the ideas that we've been talking about. Right. Well, there's a couple of things we could say about that, right? One thing that ha starts to happen, right? We, the Messiah is a political ruler. He is. Um, he is the one who's going to reign for David's throne over all, uh, all Israel and all the nations, right? So when you're suffering under uh, occupation and exile, right, all these things, right, it's, it's, you can, on one level, you can understand that you would just start focusing on, yeah, we want that. Right, without with, but ignoring. Right, this is what, think about the what we talked about a couple weeks ago: inadequate ways of dealing with sin. Right, we minimize our own sin. Oh, that's why we're in exile to begin with. Right, uh, and we're just looking at the benefits rather than oh, I need someone to deal with that. So there's there's that aspect of it. Um, of uh, but there's also another aspect where you see this in the Gospels. Um, I think you see it in Luke quite a bit too, especially at the end where the disciples don't get it. 
<laughs> they just don't. And uh, it's not for lack of clarity of the scriptures, but there's a, the idea that their minds need to be illuminated, right? And uh, even even the idea in Second Corinthians um, three, where Paul says uh, the Jews are reading the law, and they have a veil over their eyes, and they can't see until they turn to the Lord, right? So it's the Lord who ultimately opens the eyes to be able to see these things. Um, so yeah, Tony. Yeah, these people have been crushed politically for a while, and so they want a political solution, right? They have all sorts of uh, ideologies that are all over the place. There's a lot of disappointment, too, right? Even thinking about the promises and the prophets, hey, God's going to bring everything back. And even in Malachi, one of the last books in the Old Testament, you, you see that just kind of, uh, what's the right word? Disillusionment, you know, of like, okay, we're doing this, but nothing seems to be happening, right? So a lot of that, multiple factors playing into uh, to this, right? But, you know, you get, you get a cultural, you get enough people believing the same cultural thing, right? If the Messiah is a political ruler that's going to come in and save, save the day, right? And there's a sense in which that's true, uh, but you're missing a huge component, right, of dealing with sin. Um, so there's pieces of that too, so... Well, there's a couple more. Th there's a couple more things we should probably get going on into in the New Testament. So, um, let's see a couple passages talking about the atonement in the New Testament. Uh, I've already 
Uh, I've already quoted one, Mark 10, 45. Uh, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. He is that servant in Isaiah, and to give his life as a ransom for many, right? Uh, turn over, this is one of my favorite gospel verses, uh, Colossians 2. Um, and let's start. Yeah, let's start in 2.13. Uh, so someone read 2.13, Colossians 2.13 through 15. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Here you get uh, another more more vivid language about what's going on. What is it? You're dead in your trespasses and sins. You've got this debt counted against you. And what happens on the cross? What happened on the cross? What was it? He canceled the record, right? There's this picture in that day. What you would have is you would have balance sheets, right? And they didn't have erasers. You just have parchment and you put ink on this. They don't have erasers, right? So what would you do? You would scrape off the debt, right? And that's, that's like the picture of what's going on here, right? That, that uh, because you're identified with Christ, your sins, your specific sins regarding you, all the people that Christ paid for on the cross are nailed to the cross with him. They're accounted to him and they're, they're wiped out. They're canceled, right? That idea of canceling it, they're wiped out. They're gone, right? Uh, that, that's, uh, that's how that language um, speaks to, right? Uh, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Um, there's a lot that could be said about that, but uh, one of the things, right, we, you see in the scripture, Satan is an accuser, right? He is an accuser before the throne of God. What does he accuse us with? He accuses us with our sins, right? He, he goes to the data. He doesn't have to make data up, right? It's there. Uh, it's with our, our sins, right, our specific sins. He goes before God and says, look, uh, you can't accept someone like this. They are unrighteous. They are unholy. They are filthy um, before you, right? Um, but now, for the one who's in Christ, what can be said is, yeah, that's true. I have sinned, but those sins were accounted to Christ on the cross. Think about this, too. Remember we said that Christ died, his death affected past and future, right? So think about yourself in this picture on Christ. If your sins... Uh, were laid on Christ at the cross 2,000 years ago, how many of your sins were being dealt with? All of them, not just the ones that you committed yesterday, uh, but also the ones you commit today, and the ones you're going to commit tomorrow have already been dealt with in Christ. Now, we know that's not licensed to sin at all, right? Far from it. But it, it, it helps us when we do sin as Christians to remember, Christ already paid for this. I am devastated that I offended my Lord and my King, right? But he has already paid the price for that sin. And so I know that because of Christ, God sees me through the lens of Christ. 
because I'm identified with him. Back to that identification, right? And uh, he sees me through the lens of Christ. He sees those sins dealt with, and he sees me accounted with the Son's own righteousness, those robes of righteousness, to use that other language. Uh, questions, comments on that one? Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, let's go to one more. Just, you know, I'm giving you some of these verses so that you have stuff in your bank, right? Like I, you have your gospel bank, so to speak, right? You can go to particular verses and you can grab them and go back to them and remember um, these things. So, Let's go to another one. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Yeah. Again, just nice, concise way of explaining it. For our sake, or in our behalf, he made him, it's Christ, to be sin. Not that Christ was sin in that sense, but he was counted. He was counted as our sin, who knew no sin. He's completely innocent, completely without blemish, completely pure, completely having a lived-in-flesh human righteousness, so that in him, in him is a, <laughs> the, the prepositional phrase in him is, or in whom or in Jesus is one, or in Christ is one of the most important prepositional phrases in the New Testament because that's the identification, right? Only those who are in union with Christ himself, who have identified with Christ through faith, get, um, are the people for whom he died, right? And are the people who know him and receive those benefits. So that in him, in union with Christ, we might become the righteousness of God, right? That we are seen with the righteousness of God himself, which is what the language that Paul talks about in Romans, right? The idea of Romans that, that the righteousness of God, right? Uh, God can now be just both the just and the justifier, right? He's the righteous and the righteousifier uh, of those who come in faith, right? Um, and here's the thing, right? Like when we naturally, um, when even as Christians, we remember we can slip slip back into that legal mindset. I have to make my, I have to fix myself in order to come to God, right? We do that as Christians too. Oh, blown it. I better not pray to God. I better not come uh, to church, or I better until I clean myself up and can come to God. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is this, and we come back to these verses. We come back to who is Christ. Who's his righteousness in my place? Even assurance. We can't, uh, there's a sense in which we start looking to our deeds for assurance. And there's a certain level at which that's true. It's, it's valid to look at my life and say, on occasion, we should all do this. Uh, okay, am I walking in the way God wants me to walk? Uh, and, but at a certain level, you're always going to answer no, <laughs> right? Uh, and you, if you focus on that, I'm not, I'm not cutting it. I'm not righteous. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Now, you should recognize that, but the, the answer is not, well, I'll clean myself up. I'll do better, right? It's to, that you're, you have no assurance that way. Your assurance starts with Christ uh, and who he is 
and this act of God purging sin, uh, uh, if you, you entrust yourself to him, purging sin and counting Christ's righteousness to you so that you can come away and say, I know that I've blown it, I'm messed up, um, but God has dealt with that sin. And then now uh, I know he's given me the spirit and I know I can walk and pursue righteousness. So see, these are things we have to keep coming back to as believers, not just as um, to proclaim to unbelievers. Questions, comments? Yeah, Mike. think about this. This isn't just like Christ was here. He walked the dusty streets of Capernaum, right? And he's real. It's a, uh, and that's the thing. Your righteousness is not in yourself. Your righteousness is outside yourself. I think, uh, I think it's John Bunyan. Um, he talks about like how he just struggled. Like, I'm not righteous. I know I'm not righteous. What do I do, right? But then um, 1 Corinthians 1.30, it's another key verse. You can write it down look at it later. But this says, Christ is my righteousness, right? Uh, the, the righteousness uh, that is accounted to me is outside of myself. It's objective. It's not based on my feelings. Uh, it's, it's, it's based on who Christ is. And so when you start, I have to do this too, right? I start getting focused on myself and my performance. And yes, I do need to see when I fall short, but I need to come back to, my righteousness is objective. It is outside of me. It is in Christ. Um, and get my eyes off myself, look at Christ alone. And that's what helps me say, no, I, I know I'm clean before the Father. I know I can, uh, I don't, um, I know the sin is dealt with and I can walk. I'm not paralyzed um, by, by persistent guilt in that way. Yeah. Let's look at one more verse before we, we close out today. So uh, Galatians, an, another good just gospel verse. Um, Galatians 3:13 through 14 Galatians 3:13 through 14 You see kind of both there, right? There's the, the curse dealt with, right? We're under a curse because of our sin. And Christ, uh, Old Testament talks about it, right? Those who are hanged on a tree, the cross in this case, right, are cursed. They are cursed by God, right? Christ became a curse in our place so that we would not have to experience that curse. That's the language of atonement. That's the language of substitution, um, but then not only that, we know not only to count us as righteous, but also to give us the Spirit so that we can not only have a positional righteousness. There's different ways of speaking about righteousness, right? Positionally, we are righteous before God. If we're in Christ, we've identified with that sacrifice. Positionally, we are righteous. 
practically, we are not. Uh, we know that we are not righteous people. But this is where sanctification and God's Spirit comes in, right? That the, the Spirit indwells us to cause us to obey, to cause us to desire to obey uh, and to grow in a practical, lived-in-flesh righteousness um, that will one day be perfected um, in glory. So, Okay, questions, comments before we pray, close it out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. And that's fair because even I think in the intertestamental period that um, Tony was talking about, you do see different groups interpreting that text differently. So what do we have to come back to? Right. It's not the the fact that you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. It's the fact that Interpreting that text contextually, uh, the best understanding is that it's, it's um, he, he, if you look at Isaiah 42 and 49, which are in the same kind of bank of texts, it describes how the servant uh, is Israel and yet rescues Israel. So that makes sense if the servant is the king, because the king embodies Israel and yet can rescue Israel. That's that idea of corporate solidarity that you see in in the Old Testament. We've even talked about it in Matthew a bit, so, yeah. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, you are alive and well because of the resurrection at the right hand of the Father. You are the suffering servant, and you are the one who has dealt with sin. You have made purification for sins, and we thank you for that. Lord, we pray that as we go uh, day in and day out, that we would keep entrusting ourselves to you, keep relying on you, keep uh, looking back to what you did on the cross, and keep looking to your perfect righteousness um, that is accounted to us. We thank you that you took the curse of sin in our place, and you have given us your own righteousness, Lord. We thank you that we can walk in confidence an assurance of our faith, not because of who we are, but because of who you are and what you have done outside of, objectively outside of us. We thank you. Uh, please prepare our hearts um, to worship this morning uh, as we prepare to gather and to sing and to hear your word preached. Uh, be with us and strengthen us. Thank you for this time this morning. In your name, amen.